right, good morning, good morning. How's everybody? Yeah, I like it, Ken. Blessed, highly favored of the Lord. <clears throat> want to thank uh, Pastor Johanna for ministering last Sunday. Didn't she do a great job? Allowed us to uh, to travel to Texas to be with uh, my mother-in-law and, and uh, enjoyed our time with them. Thank you for your continued prayers for her. I got to go to a cowboy church last Sunday, and uh, it was unusual a little bit. Of course, uh, Texas is that culture that really uh, that works well uh, in uh, where they live there in Grand Saline, Texas. And uh, it was one thing I was kind of caught off guard about was a couple of dogs was roaming around during the service. And they would come by and sit, and you could pet them, and then they'd move on to somebody else. And it was the pastor's dogs. And uh, that was pretty cool. And it was pretty laid back, and it was packed with people. And it was just, uh, you know, the diversity uh, in the body of Christ is awesome. Amen? And we enjoyed uh, being being there, being in service, and... Uh, and I didn't know if they said yeehaw or amen when the preacher preached, but they still say amen. But we enjoyed being there and, and uh, getting to see that and be involved in, in that service. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and let you be seated this morning. Wasn't the worship great today? Um, where it was to me. I, uh, I just felt like, especially those first two songs were really just calling us to... Uh, you know, it was about to me about intimacy with God, and uh, which is extremely important. Uh, and uh, but it's hard to be intimate with a God that you're confused about. Um, and there's a lot of things that in the body of Christ, and there's things that that I hit often because they need to be gone after because of how they uh, present God to this world, and even to the church. I, I guess I'm just going to title this Covenant Confusion uh, because there is a lot of confusion about the covenant. And even though we're, you know, we're in the New Covenant, you, you agree with that? We're in the New Testament, we're in the New Covenant, means the same thing. Uh, yet we have a lot of Christians that are New Covenant Christians but with an Old Covenant mindset. Uh, their mind is still influenced greatly by the old covenant. And Jesus told us clearly, and Paul preached it clearly, that the old has passed away and the new has come. That's what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the new wine. He said he wasn't talking about a new move of God. He wasn't talking about something that would come along every now and then like the wind and give you goosebumps. And, and he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the new wine or the new covenant. And he said, you can't mix the old and the new together. They will not mix. You cannot mix them. However, in most churches, there is a mixture. There is a hybrid. Uh, there is, the, we're saved by grace through faith, but then it seemingly then we are hit with the law. And so a lot of times there's a lot of confusion about that. One of the things that, that I guess I've seen in the last few weeks more than, than ever, and of course we are concerned about the world just like, Everybody is, and man, people are, are, they don't know what to do. People are afraid. Uh, Satan is behind the separation that's going on. 
people's different views uh, in regard to COVID and what they do in response to it. And so you got all these divisions. Uh, and, and man, as a as the body of Christ, we, we just have to really be careful with that and not get sucked into that and allow us to form opinions. You know, you remember? Does anybody remember like me before Facebook? Remember how good life was before Facebook? Before fake book? I mean Facebook. By that I mean, remember when you didn't know everybody's political stance? You didn't know what they thought about this or that? But now everybody's got a platform. And some people don't know how to use a platform without being mean with it. And they come at you that if you're not just like them, if you don't believe this just like them, if you don't see it just like them, then you are their enemy. I mean, that's not the word of God. Uh, but one thing I've been seeing and people's concerned and, and uh, we just lost a, a great uh, a, a friend, uh, Eddie Milton, uh, died, I guess, yesterday. And uh, actually, it was weird when we were out in Texas, he actually put out an email himself saying that he was about to die. That was kind of weird to me. He said as he prepared to meet the Lord and he was basically just saying goodbye. And if you don't know who Eddie Milton is, he's actually ministered here in this church since I've been here. And and I had him many, many times when I pastored Cornerstone. And, and he was the lead singer for uh, the group that still exists today called New Song. And uh, traveled all over the world. And then Eddie uh, left the group and went out on his own. And, and in fact, I had the privilege of working with him when he was with New, New Song. And I got to uh, see his heart up close and personal. He spent many hours with me and my family. Uh, been in our home. Uh, he ministered at our church countless, countless times. When Justin was a, a teenager uh, concluding his high school uh, career, he was. Uh, I even drove him all the way to Eddie's house one night north of Atlanta so he could get on the bus and travel with New Song. He was itching back then to, to do that, so Eddie told me to bring him up here, and he said this will make him or break him, one or the other. <laughs> and he had a blast traveling with them and, and – uh, uh, getting to see that life on the road with that with that group, and they were just a great group. had had tremendous success, and uh, man, our hearts go out to his family, and we we pray for him, and and uh, and that was due to other complications plus COVID, and and you know, and we've all we're seeing this go on, and then people they they don't know what to do. Seems like a lot of the churches are almost like just now getting geared up. Well, we got to do something. Let's call a prayer meeting. Let's. You know, let's ask God to intervene or whatever. Uh, we're a little late on that if we're just now starting. <laughs> I would say that. But thank God that some are starting then. If that's what, you know, thank God I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, you know, uh, this just didn't start last week. One of the scriptures I keep seeing pop up so often is Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And you probably know it by heart. You might not know it by the reference to the scripture, but it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, if you look at that verse in your Bible, you'll notice that's only half the sentence. But Christians like to reach into the Bible, pick out a verse that supports what they believe, and then they post it and quote it as if that's what it means. Actually, the sentence starts in verse 13. And at the end of 13, there's a comma, and then it says, if my people. 
But the sentence says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will seek, uh, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, then, conditional, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And then verse 15, I just want to throw this one in there just for added blessing says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, he's not talking about this place, Grace Point, Val Austin. He's talking about the temple, Solomon's temple specifically, in Israel. So if you're going to pray a prayer that he's going to hear in this context, said you have to be in that place. Uh, tough cookies for you, right? Because that temple don't even exist anymore. And what this is, is King Solomon, third king of Israel, has built the temple. He has rebuilt the temple. Magnificent. He has dedicated the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. And he has prayed a prayer over that dedication. And then in verse 1 of that chapter, God comes to him in the night and speaks to him through a dream and says, I've heard your prayer. And then God begins to talk to him. So this verse is just reached in and pulled out by Christians and and if you read that, because when he says my people, he's not talking to you, he's talking to Israel. Not that you're not his people now, we've been grafted in. But in this setting, we just have to say what the Bible is saying and to whom it is saying it. Is that all right? But are but called by my name, humble them. So you first start, you got to humble yourself. Number two, you have to pray. Number three, you have to seek my face. Number four, you have to turn from the, your wicked ways. Uh, that's four things you got to do. What if you only do two of them? Are you half forgiven? Well, if you just do three, what about a three-fourths forgiven? Or do you have to do all four? And then anybody that reads this can tell you that this is a conditional verse. You've got to do all these things first, right? And then if you do all these just right, then God says, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive your sin. See, and a lot of the church still believes that. They believe that forgiveness of sin is something that God can do. They don't believe that forgiveness of sin is something that God has done. And I know you hear me say that a lot, but I, that's my job, okay? Because I'm telling you, people don't know that. Everywhere I go, I hear people, they, they just don't know it. Most of the church still sees sin as something, forgiveness of sin, something that God can do, not something that God has done. And so you just have to decide because it makes total difference on your view of God and your theology of God, and then it says, and heal their land. Now, it starts off talking about pestilence and stuff like that. So if you, believe, if you believe these verses I've read, then don't ever buy any seven dust to put on your tomato plants. Just let the bugs have their way. Let the bugs have their way because God's behind it. Pestilence, the locusts, those things that devour the plants. You know, I mean, if you, if you believe that kind of way, and, and, and it's ridiculous. Yet there's a lot of the church, they believe in, you know, uh, they talk about um, what they consider, and they use this word called sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. Now, it, there's not a one of you in here that's not heard that, and you may have heard that expression, and you may have heard teaching about the sovereignty of God, right? And, and let me say this to you. The word sovereign is not in the Bible. Isn't that interesting that we have so much teaching and, and thought and theology about the sovereignty of God, but it's not even in the Bible, Old or New Testament? Now, if you've got a new international version, you'll find the word sovereign over 300 times in that Bible. 
that translation rather. But they're always translating the word in the original Lord God. Where in, in the scripture where it says Lord God, they translate sovereign. Well, they'll say sovereign God. But even in that translation of the New International Version, the word sovereign is never used not one time in the light of the way the church views the sovereignty of God. And, of course, the way the church views the sovereignty of God is that God is in what? Control. That God is in control of everything that's going on. And many people believe that somehow God's behind the COVID disease. Even he's, you know, he sent that plague on the earth to get us to pray, turn from our wicked ways, seek his face, and he'll heal our land and forgive our sin. And, and so this verse is being used like crazy right now. And, and churches are using it as their mantra to call people to, to their prayer meetings. And they're literally saying that if we'll come to, to church and if we'll gather around and if we will pray and we'll humble ourselves and we'll seek his face and we'll turn from our wicked ways, then God will do something. Then God will do something about this mess we're in. And, 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 and you, can, you can't paint that any other way other than you're saying that somehow or another God's behind that or he's sitting there with his arms folded waiting on us to do something for him to do something. Right or wrong? Thank you for that holy grunt. I'll take it. All right, But we do have a lot of covenant confusion throughout the body of Christ. And that's why you see people reaching into the old covenant, pulling a verse like this out and using it in today under grace, under the new covenant, and saying if you'll do these conditional things, then God will do something. God said, I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And he said, I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's all New Testament stuff, by the way, in case you like that. But if God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, and how many blessings are there left? None. He, he, he's not waiting on us anymore. So, and I know some of you know this, but a lot of people don't know this. They don't have this down inside of them, and they have covenant, what I call covenant confusion, because they believe that the word repentance means turn from, like that verse, turn from your wicked ways. That's not the New Testament view of repentance the, the new testament word repent means what think change the way you think think differently that's right and so it's not paul said turning to the living god that's what repentance is he said repent and turn to the living god so the pharisees were were, were great at turning from their sins but how many knows they were not saved they, they, you know they were great they turned from sin more than anyone but they were not born again they were not children of god and, and jesus was clear on that uh, but it's not what you turn from, but it's whom you turn to that saves you, and that's Jesus Christ. And I've told you this over and over. If sin is, is such a big deal, and I'm just going to hit it and move on, but if sin is such the big deal, in other words, if we have to do something now to get God to forgive us, then, then in other words, this is how I know you have covenant confusion. You see repentance as turning from sin, and two, you believe that, that forgiveness comes if you'll ask God. But Jesus is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Now, he either did or he didn't. That's just up to you to believe it or not. But if you believe it, then he took away the sin of the world. Now, see, we have a problem with that because you and I are linear in our thought, in our theology and thinking. In other words, we see things on timelines. We're born, we live, you know, and then we die, right? It's on a, it's on a line. God is not like that at all, and the Bible's clear on that. Uh, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, let me tell you how we view that verse. We say that God is the same yesterday, 
this is yesterday, today, present tense, forever, future tense. That's not what it says. It says God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever are the same to God. With God is like a circle. There is, you, you, know, you can't look at the wedding ring and see wh when, where does it start. There's no start and there's no end. God is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He, he's, they're, 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 we can't think in that because with God, everything is circular or eternal. So is, the way that I can try to explain it to you is when years ago we went down uh, to Disney World, had little kids and stuff with us, grandbabies and all, and, and so here comes the parade by, okay? Now it's pretty crowded. It's real crowded, matter of fact. And, and everybody wants to see Mickey, right? And they want to see all these other characters and stuff like that. And they're coming by in procession. Here comes Aladdin, okay. Uh, here comes, you know, Sleeping Beauty. I mean, so we're getting to see all of them, at, at, you know, in our time. Now, what dictated when I saw them is where I was standing on the parade route and when they made their pass by in front of me. But guess what? If you were in a helicopter hovering overhead, you saw the beginning of the parade and the ending of the parade all simultaneously, and you saw Mickey, Pluto, Goofy, the princess. You saw all of them simultaneously. That's the way God sees it. God sees the beginning from the end. He, see, he, see, he sees it all. So you can't approach God or think in those kind of terms because that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not how uh, in whom God is. Now, you, you know, most Christians have trouble even figuring out when the New Testament starts. Now, I've taught you this, but the New Testament does not begin just because you finished up with Malachi and then you roll over the page and then you got that blank white page in your Bible and you flip it over and then it says the New Testament and then you flip it over and it's got Matthew chapter 1. That's not the start of the New Testament. Because the New Testament is a will. And Paul was very clear in Scripture that it does, a will does not go into force until the one who wrote the will dies. Right. So when Jesus died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, that's when the New Testament part of your Bible starts right then. Resurrection is when it starts. Everything before that is Old Covenant. Even the words in red is Old Covenant words. Thank you for that silence. You know why you're silent on that? Because I need to be preaching on it. See, that's how I gauge it. So if you was real boisterous, I'd go, well, they can finally got that. I can move on to something else. Nope, I'm still right back here. Because you went dead silent on me. You didn't know where to say amen on me or, or nothing. So you just decided with nothing. Because most of us grew up like this. Words in red. Words in red. Now, if you stay close to the words in red. I mean, Brooks and Dunn, which I like them country boys, okay? They got a country song, and it says, you know, that you stay close to the words in red. I like the song except for that false theology got snacked right there in the middle of it. You know, and, and it says that if I stay close to the words in red, I'm going to be all right. You, you, you're not going to be all right. The words in red are to make you dead. In other words, they're to kill you. Didn't I just tell you they're Old Testament words? You want to hear some words in red? Be ye perfect, even as I'm perfect. There's your one. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. You want that one? If your eye offends you, pluck it out. How many more words in red you want? Right, we, can just, we can go all day with this. 
These are all words in red. One of the words in red is in the middle of this sermon Jesus preaching that starts in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount that we refer to it as Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. It's real clear. They're words in red. Jesus says them. And by the way, y'all know this now, right? That G The Holy Spirit didn't say, well, I'm going to write these words in your Bible in red so you can really pay attention. Words in red was just a printer that come up with a gimmick to sell more Bibles. And he said, let's put all the words in red of Christ in red. So they decided which ones to put in red. Sold a lot of Bibles that way. I, I got an Old Testament Bible where the words in God are in red. Seriously. I give a traveling preacher $100 just to have it. That's the truth. It's big. I mean, it's pretty cool because in the old, old Covenant, all the words of God are in red. There, take that, devil. So I got a red Old Testament and a red New Testament. But it's not more powerful because of the color of the ink. Are, are you with me? So here's Matthew 6, 14, Jesus talking. Jesus not talking, Jesus preaching. He says, if. Everybody say if. if. That puts a condition on it, right? For if you forgive men their trespasses. Anybody had to forgive men trespasses? How about in the last week did you need to forgive men their trespasses? How many struggling with forgiving somebody of their trespasses against you? But he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, Guess what? Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How many likes that? How many's got that on your refrigerator? Dash of your car. Because it puts a condition on it. And it says that if you've got any unforgiveness against anybody for their trespass against you, God has not forgiven you of your trespasses. And God put his forgiveness based on your forgiveness. How I many is comfortable with that? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something so just to save yourself from trying to be great. There's not a one of us in this room that has totally forgiven everybody for the wrong they've done us in our lives. And so just knock it off. You can say the words and smile to face, but I ain't buying it. Some of us have been done really, really bad by some people that meant it. And it didn't, what they did to us didn't go away in a day or a week, or some of us, what they did to us will never go away, and we, we will bear the scars of what they did to us the rest of our life on this earth. And you tell me, I, well, I forgive them. No, you ain't. Because if you did, you wouldn't think about it. You, you wouldn't struggle with it. And if that's, if that's your story, then you're not going to heaven, no matter what you do, because you're not forgiven. You see how that crowds you up? You see how that shuts your mouth from boasting in what you've accomplished, which is what the law is intended to do? And to make you say, who can be saved then? And the answer is no one except through Christ. But there are still people climbing in pulpits in Valdosta, Georgia, this Sunday, I guarantee you, and they're reading these verses, and they're loading that 
burden on those people. And they're telling them that if they don't forgive, they're, then they're cut off. That's a popular way they preach it. You're cut off. God don't hear your prayer. You're, you're not forgiven. Well, you're doomed then. Don't you feel good when you leave that Sunday morning meeting? You're doomed. Well, what about it? Did Jesus say it? Yes. Was it true when he said it? Yes. What changed everything? The cross. The cross changed everything. Because when Jesus shed his blood, he forgave the world of all sin. And he couldn't forgive, just, he couldn't reach in and just forgive present past sin because all our sins were future then. And he, he removed that noun, that entity, that thing that was against us, sin, and he moved, took it away. He didn't cover it. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He, he, he took it away. And when you believe that truth, it frees you of so much false theology. Did the Apostle Paul ever mention forgiveness? He did, but he never, not one apostle, not anybody in the epistles ever mentioned anything close to this because that's law Jesus is preaching to those people that were under law. Ephesians 4.32, Paul said, be kind to one another. I mean, no, that's a good thing. Tenderhearted. Forgiving, look at there, one another. The Bible is for you forgiving people. I'm not up here saying it's okay not to forgive. It's not okay because it hurts you more than it does them. But it says forgiving one another, look at what it says though, just as God in Christ forgave, past tense, you. God's forgiven you. God said, I've already forgiven you, so why don't you just forgive others? Well, well, just, just go ahead and forgive them because I've already forgiven you. And, and that's what the Bible's teaching. You know, I had somebody send me a, a question, and, and, and sometimes people get, it's just amazing what people are struggling with. And, and we know that the Bible is real clear that we are, we are all born sinners, right? That's what the Bible teaches. We're born in trespasses and sin. That, that's what it says. But yet sometimes people, and I had somebody, I just want to throw this in there. It's really got nothing to do with what I'm talking about other than I just pray this hits the person that needs to hear. But sometimes people will say, you know, well, Pastor, what about the kids? What about this little kid that died? You know, two-year-old died, three-year-old kid died, whatever. Four, five, six-year-old died. Where are they at? Did they go to heaven? And they say, well, they can't go to heaven because, you know, they're not born again and blah, blah, you know. And so, you know, you don't think about it maybe unless you're a parent. I've actually had parents that, that, that I buried their little kids. And then come, they would come to me later and, and want to know where their kid was. Because they got confused and they got concerned. And how many knows that the new covenant is a better covenant than the old covenant? That's what Hebrew says. And it has better promises. And it just says it's a better covenant. But remember, even under the old covenant, I think it's 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. Remember, David had a little baby. He had a son that died. And remember when his son was sick and, and almost to die, David was fasting and he was praying that that son not die. But remember, his son died. And when his son died, he got up and washed his face, the Bible said, and he, and he took food and he ate food. And, 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 uh, and, and then David said, you know, uh, I mean, the servants questioned him, why, why are you doing this? I mean, I... He, he said, but he's dead. He, he said, why, why, why should I fast? He, he said, I, you know, in other words, can I bring him back again? My fasting can't bring him back. But he said, I shall go to him, uh, but he shall not return to me. Now, David wasn't saying, I'm going to go to him because he's in hell and that's where I'm going. Right? David was saying what? 
my little son's in heaven, and I can't bring him back, but I'm going to go where he is. Is that what David said in the Bible? Well, I'm put me down with siding with David. So when it comes to kids or it comes to adults with dysfunctional problems where they cannot mentally grasp what I'm teaching or grab hold of it, and that was really the question how it was framed to me. But they would say, what about, what about, what, you know, what about this person that has this certain condition or certain mental uh, problems where they, where they have the inability to grasp and accept Christ by faith and to even understand uh, the simplicity of grace in the gospel. What happens to them when they die? And I said, the, the, my answer to that is what happens to kids when they die? Same, the same thing. Because they're, they are, I'm siding with David. They're the Lord's. Uh, and, 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 and there he is. So don't, don't believe the lies of the enemy. The, the sovereignty of God, how, how he is presented in the church, is one of the main uh, reasons that people are so uh, confused and, 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 and believers too and we go around and we say and we say this and I told you and I, I, and I know I say this a lot you know God's in control and whatever but what that does listen to me and it maybe kind of goes along with what Pastor Johan was talking about last Sunday a little bit but it but it makes us powerless victims and, and it and it and it makes us uh, it, 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 people like it because it gives comfort somehow or another to shift the responsibility of what people do or don't do onto, onto God. And then the consequences of that are not on us, they're on God, so somehow God's in control. And, and, and if you look up the word sovereign, it means paramount, it means supreme. But sometimes people think for God to be God, he's got to control everything. What if you were in a relationship where you said the person loves me, but they're in control of you? They tell you when, where, not, I mean, listen, I've done some marriage counseling. That's not love. Nobody wants to be controlled by their spouse. Love don't control. Love liberates and frees. First Corinthians definition is love is nowhere near the definition that the church has for God. And so, so, so God, God is not controlled, and there's not one verse in the Bible that even remotely says God is in control. There is a verse in the New Testament that said Satan is in control. First John chapter 5, verse 19. Now, it says, this is the New International Version. It says, we know that we are children of God. How many knows you're children of God? All right? And that the whole world, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's what it says in the Bible. If you've got a King James or a New King James, it says the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. All right? Now, let's ask this question. Where did the devil come from? Who made him? Is there any verse in the Bible that said God created the devil? Be careful now. Is there any verse in the Bible that said God created Satan? So God didn't, God didn't make Satan, and God didn't create the devil. How many knows there's a verse that says, let, let's ask this question then. What was Satan's name before we knew him as Satan? Lucifer. Does it say God made Lucifer? Yes. Lucifer was one of the only three named archangels in the Bible. Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. Three archangels, supreme high-level beings created by God to do the ministry of God. Okay? So God made Lucifer. Now we know the story, I think we do, Lucifer rebelled in heaven. The first sin didn't happen on earth. So your problem is not environmental. 
Adam and Eve did not sin in the ghetto. Your problem, again, is not environmental. It's decision. It's a gift God's given you, the ability to decide what you believe, what you do, because what you believe decides where you go. Where you go decides what you'll do. Y'all let me know if you're getting anything out of this today. Here's the statement. God made Lucifer, man made Satan. Man created Satan, the devil. Man not only created him, but he empowered him. He armed him. He weaponized him. Lucifer rebelled against God. God in his power could have smashed him like a bug and itemized him and annihilated him, and they would have been no more. But all those myriads and myriads of angels watching this scene go down because Lucifer had convinced a third of the angels that he was right and God was wrong. What if God had smashed him like a bug, obliterated him? Boy, that would have showed the rest of the angels you better tighten up, right? And that would have turned God into the Godfather instead of God the Father. And they would have said, this God here rules with power. He, 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 he dominates with his power. That's just a communist ruler. That's all that is. That's not who God is. Why didn't God? That ain't who God is. Authority versus power. Authority versus power. Okay, so God, there's no question. One of his names is El Shaddai. That means Almighty. God is almighty, all-powerful. There's no limit to the power of God. But that does not mean that God's in control of everything that happens on this planet. He's not. He says, not my will that any should perish. Do people perish? Okay, his will's not always done. It was not God's will for Adam and Eve to eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, but did they eat anyway? God's will is not always done. God said, I want you to pray that my will will be done. How? On earth. How does he want it done? Like it is how? Brother Dale, what's your, what's your vision for Grace Point? Right there it is. On earth as it is in heaven. That's my vision. Cut and simple. I, and that's always my answer. I'm not, I don't mean that glib tongue. I mean that's my vision. I, my vision is God's vision. God wants it on earth like it is in heaven because it's not on earth like it is in heaven. There is no cancer in heaven. There is no COVID in heaven. There is nobody dying in heaven. None of that's in heaven. And God said, I want it on earth like it is in heaven. Well, why don't God just make it? Because God gave the earth away. Psalm 115, verse 16, the heavens, even the heavens above, belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. It wasn't a fake giving. God, God gave the earth to Adam. And Adam gave the earth away. To a guy that formerly was known as Lucifer, who had no power, none. He had great authority and power in heaven, but he got kicked out. He lost his jobby job. If you're the sheriff of Lowndes County, and you violate something, and they kick you out, guess what, hoss? You ain't the sheriff no more. You, they might have let you keep your badge, and you might have your uniform. But you can't do nothing to me. Because you ain't the sheriff. Somebody else took your job. 
Now, if you don't know that and nobody has preached good to you, then this guy that used to be sheriff can come up around you and start talking to you, flash his badge and act like he's the sheriff, and you just cow right down to him. And you believe his lie, and you start living your life but thinking he's sheriff. And instead of doing what the Bible said, the Bible said if we submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee. Most of the churches submitting to the devil, resisting God. That's true. Because we said God's in control, so we're powerless, we're impotent, we can't do anything. Ultimately, God's behind it. Well, why do you go to the doctor then? If you believe that God's behind disease, if he, if he put that disease on you to teach you something, what you doing at the doctor's office? Get your butt out of that doctor's office and enjoy your sickness. <laughs> Learn all you can, baby. Let it count for the kingdom. Don't be taking no pills trying to get better. Because God's behind it. Do you know that I have pastored a long time now? I'm sounding like an old guy. And I've leaders, I've helped plant churches all over. And I've run into this theology a number of times. Real short version, I had a pastor that unfortunately had an affair with a lady that was not his wife. And, and of course, it, it broke our heart. It, it tremendously hurt the church. Um, I, and I and I counseled with with him and his wife, and, and and thank God that they they worked it out. But in my first meeting with him alone, this is what he said to me. Now you think about this. This is a pastor that had an affair. His church was devastated. I had to stand before him and deal with all those things. Over a hundred people left that church. But not when he committed the sin. We only lost four people. But six months later when I returned him to his pulpit and I passed the mic from my hand to his and I declared him the pastor again of that church, over the next few months over 100 people departed. Isn't that strange? Not really. Because I said to some of them, why, why did you wait then to leave? Well, number one, of course, the pastor wasn't preaching. I had another man there. But they said, when he walked to the pulpit and he opened his Bible and he said, turn to such and such scripture, one guy said, all I could see was his britches hanging on somebody else's bedpost. And it was just hard for me to receive the word of God from that guy. And I had to go somewhere else. I don't guess we really got this forgiveness thing down pretty too good, huh? In my first meeting with the pastor, this is what he said to me. He said, Brother Dale, one of the statements, I'll just jump right to it. This is what he said. He said, I know you know what I did and all was wrong and everything. But somehow, God was in it. Because my marriage is so much better today, and I'm closer to my wife than I've ever been. That's what he said to me. 
And even back then, I knew better than, than this theology. Why would that pastor? This is a pastor now that's teaching people. But you know why he said that to me? Because he's got this view that God's in control of everything. Ultimately, we don't understand it, but he's using even evil for good. And he said that to me. And I, I, said, I said, hold up. Now, you telling me that God ultimately was behind this. So that makes God pro-adultery and fornication here. So God wants you to take your britches off. I got, I got to kind of hold it. Take your underwear off and climb on top of your secretary with her underwear off. God was, that's what you're telling me? You say, why? And you say, like, I won't even get a vivid view of what God was in. I, this is God here. It's all God. It's kingdom. That's what you're telling me. So in other words, for, for God to make your marriage better, he had to get you to sleep with your secretary. Man, I guess we all just need to go find somebody to sleep with and we can all have a better marriage. I said, brother, you, I, I'm serious, y'all. See, I, I know I'm way too plain, man. But I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I'm going to tell you this. Your marriage might be better and you might feel closer to, 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 to your wife. God wasn't in none of what you did, brother. You, you, you sitting here saying, I, I, my marriage is better. I, what about them hundred people that's gone? Are they better? Are they better for it? No. The enemy still kills the He's behind all But see, if you have this theology that God's ultimately in control, and, and, and think about how many theologies that people have that if you put that same action on a human being, it's a crime for them. You know what people do? People, they normally take three postures, one of three, that have this. They will freeze. Uh, they, they, will, they will get where they actually flee the church or they become frightened. In other words, they, they become frozen and incapable of doing anything, and so they don't resist the devil. They just say somehow God's behind it, and they just take it. They, they take the financial things that come against them. They take the sickness that comes against them. And they just ultimately think, well, there's nothing I can do anyway because ultimately God's behind it and his will's going to be done and, and blah, blah, whatever. That's just not the way this earth is operating. And, 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 and Paul told us that clearly. He said, he, he said in the end that God's going to do away with all the, 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 the powers that exist. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 24, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. This is Paul, and he said, then comes the end. Now, the verse before, he's talking about the coming of the Lord, okay? He said, then comes the end when he, capital he, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end, look at this, he puts an end to all rule, authority, and power. So if he's putting an end to that, that means there's some rule, authority, and power that's going on that's not his. Now, Satan is called the God of this world, but we made him that. And when I said to you a while ago, and I want to be clear on that, and, and i got, and I got to wind this up, but when God made Lucifer, man made Satan. All right, if Satan had any kind of power on his own, he would not have bothered with Adam and Eve. He, why bother with them? You don't need them. Just crush them. Just pick them off. Do your deal, man. He can't do nothing. He's got no power. He did have power. He's been cast to the earth. He has no power, no authority. 
no power, no authority. I know that's hard for you to believe because the Satan you grow up hearing about was like God here, Satan here, and, you know, he's duking it out, and God's barely got enough to whip him. Nothing even, I, I don't even have words. I'd have to speak in tongues to try to explain that. I, I mean, there, there's just, I don't have any explanation. It's ridiculous. God has never fought the devil, ever. So he's got no power and authority, but he sees somebody that does have it, and that's Adam. He's got all power and authority on this earth. God said he has the dominion. Satan wants the dominion, so he goes to the man that's got the dominion, and he tricks him, and he lies to him, and he gets him to give that to him. In the wilderness temptation with Jesus being tempted by Satan, Satan says, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and their splendor, their riches. Satan took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain, spiritual experience, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and said, all this will I give unto thee, if you will but fall down and worship me, for this has been delivered unto me. Satan, Jesus never said, you liar. Satan had dominion. He had authority. That's why people don't understand Job. They see Job like God just, you know, you know here, seek him, devil. And when God said, have you considered my servant Job, God's not saying, I want you to sick him. But that's how the church reads it. The Hebrew does a very poor, it, it translates very poorly in some cases to the, to the English. When God says that all, you know, all that he has is in your power, God was not saying all that he has, now I give you into your power to jump on him. He was saying all that he has is already yours. Because Satan was in dominion. Why do you think Satan argued with Michael the archangel over the body of Moses? Because until the cross comes, Satan was in charge and had dominion over men. He had dominion over everything. And that's why he got mad with God because he said, you've got this guy surrounded with a hedge and you're blessing him and that's illegal. Why do you think God started making covenants with people? Because God could not come into this earth and do anything unless he was invited in. And the only legal way that God could come in because God's a God of justice, he had to start making covenants with man. And when man would enter into a covenant with God, that gave God legal access to bless them. And he started with Abraham and he made a covenant with Isaac and then he made a covenant with Jacob and he made a covenant with Noah and he made a covenant with Moses and he just kept, God kept making these covenants to God says, finally, this is too slow. This ain't getting it done. And then God says, I know how I get this done. I will become a man. And if I'm a man on the earth, then I can come into the earth and do what I want to do with my people. And God made a covenant with himself. So it's God standing there, Jesus the man of God, and they make a covenant with each other based on us. We ain't even in the covenant, but we're the beneficiaries of the covenant. Woo! That's, that's, that's how the story goes. And now God, and so go, go back to power authority. Okay, I'm in Val Austin. I got that big Ford F-150 out there. That baby got an engine. You know what I'm talking about? Turbo. It'll get it done. I'm sitting at the traffic light, and it's red. I got, don't, hey, it ain't, the problem ain't power, baby. I can smoke it. I smoke them tires going, but I, what, what am I lacking? I got power. What am I lacking? Authority. There you go. When will authority come? Light change green. Now I got power and authority. Now I can go. Power and authority. God is all powerful, but he 
but we, we got to have the authority. Now, Jesus came and took the power and authority back from Satan. Satan, we're not talking about a Satan that ain't been defeated. He was defeated and put to an open public shame. Colossians says so. And then Jesus took the keys and gave them to us. Keys of what? Keys, plural, to what? The kingdom. If I give you the keys to Grace Point Church, guess what you have at Grace Point Church? You have power and authority. You have power to enter the building, and you have the authority to do so. Why? Because you have the keys, and the keys is the proof. You've got the keys. See, now what we got is we got a church running around with keys in their pocket they don't never pull out. Now, one reason we don't pull them out is because we don't know that we got them. We wonder what that jingling is that we hear every now and then. You, Jesus gave you as a believer power and authority over the enemy. Now, see, some of you, you know, you feel like if you give your tithe, then the Lord's going to open the window of heaven and stick his hand out and pour a blessing on you. You're unable to receive because that's what the preacher told you. And then he also throwed some law in there, scared the hell out of you, and said if you don't give your tithe, then you're cursed. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. And he said, don't worry about it because if you don't pay them, you ain't going to get to keep it no how because God's going to get it one way or the other. And your kid's going to be sick, wash machine going to tear up, your car going to mess up, and God's still going to get his money. So go on and hold it if you want to. Y'all better quit acting like y'all ain't never heard no preacher preaching y'all like that. If you heard a preacher preach to you like that, stick your hand up in the air and say, oh, me. And see, because that's, that's how they get the money. Got to kind of jack it up a little bit. Put screws to you a little bit. Mm, you curse with a curse. Old covenant, dude. Old covenant. See, most preachers are terrified to say what I just said. Because their livelihood depends on giving. No giving, no church, no church, no jobby job. Not really, but that's how they think. If you come to my house and you out there in my yard and I open the windows of my house and I stick my arm out and I pour you out a blessing of sweet tea and I just keep pouring if you can't receive it all, it just runs over. But guess where you are not? You ain't in the house, baby. You are outside the house. That's why I had to open the windows and pour out a blessing. Now on the new covenant, you believe in tithing? I absolutely do. I wouldn't have a word hitting the screen every Sunday. But we don't give because we got to or God's cursing us. We give because we get to. And we do it as to honor God, and we do it trusting God. Now, you, now let me say something for real easy to understand. You got two pieces of dirt, and you got two people. One of them plants tomatoes on their dirt. The other one don't plant anything. It should be no shock to you that this dude over here that planted stuff is going to have a bigger harvest. Now, God loves both of them dudes the same, but sowing and reaping and planting and harvest, all that's of God. And God designed it in the seed and the natural to show us in the, even in the spiritual. But you'll never hear me use it or allow it to be used to coerce you into giving. We give, honor the Lord, the Bible says, with the first fruits. So we tithe and we give, not because we don't, you know, we're, under, we're not under a curse no more because Galatians clearly says Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I'm not under a curse no more. You can't curse what's blessed. 
I remember I had a woman call me one night way on when I was a young pastor, and she said, I'm at motel, and I got demons, and I'm a witch, and I'm a uh, certified witch with Wicca, and I want you to come out to the hotel right now and cast these devils out of me. And it's about 10 o'clock at night. Well, I don't know, but since Jill ain't going to let me leave the house at 10 o'clock at night and go meet a woman in the motel room. <laughs> she just ain't much for that. And I said, uh, no, ma'am, I'm not going to come tonight. And I'm not going to meet you at the motel. And, uh, but you can come to the church tomorrow, and, and I'll pray for you and you know, minister to you, whatever. She said, well, what about all these demons? I told y'all I needed some help tonight. I said, you've had them a while. They'll, they'll, one more night ain't going to kill you. I'm telling you, that's what I told her. I said, you've had them a while. What's one more night? Now that ticked her off. She began to curse me. And I don't mean just use a curse word, so she was good at that too. But she began to pronounce curses on me. And she started yanting with all this and curse this. And I curse your family and I curse your children and I curse you with death. And, I and she just was doing, she was getting with it. I'm telling you the truth, I started laughing. I don't know why I started laughing. It just struck me funny. It just struck me funny. I'm like, I'm on the phone, 10 o'clock at the house on Sunday night. I'm tired. I preached twice today because we had service Sunday night back then. You know, we really saved. We went twice on Sunday. So we, and she's, she's pronouncing all these, you know, curses and damnation and diseases on me. And I just started, I just started laughing, man. Ooh, I said, and she's, and, uh, I, she said, what are you laughing I said, you're not very good at this. She said, what do you mean I'm not good? I said, if you knew anything about the spirit realm, you would know my God is bigger than your God. And you would know greater is he that's within me than he that's in you. So I said, you cannot curse what God has blessed. She hung up. Now, I, I'd like to tell you, she came to the church the next day and I cast devils out of her and she became a worldwide minister, but that... That's not how the story goes. I never heard anything else from her again. But now, I, looking back on it, I, I, that was just some kind of setup deal or something. I don't know what Satan had figured out. But I'm not fit to meet the woman at the hotel that you get a picture of me coming out of the hotel room. with. It. I, mm, my ministry is too valuable. My marriage is too valuable. I, I don't ever have never. I just don't make me greater good, and I'm susceptible to everything that any other human flesh is susceptible to. You got it? But I don't meet with women at 8 to 80 by myself ever, never have, never will. You can get mad, and I have had them, get mad, leave, whatever. I just ain't going to do it. I just ain't going to do it because I don't know what you're going to go out there and tell people I did or said. Mm -mm. Pastor Johanna going to be sitting there. In the early days, my wife was sitting there. If you can't tell it to me in front of my wife, I don't need to hear it. I don't need, how to, I don't need to hear how your husband ain't satisfied. Mm -mm. I don't need to hear all that. The Bible says let the older women minister to the younger women. I, that's not saying men can, but you just, we, just need to, we, we just need to try to, you know, I mean, I think the older women minister to the younger women do a lot better job. Y'all all right? L listen. Satan didn't have anything. When he come to the man that did, he handed him the keys. Now, what empowers the enemy today then if he was defeated at the cross, you know, by Jesus, his sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection, then why is he causing so much havoc and confusion? Listen, Satan advances his 
agenda anywhere where people are buffaloed, lied to, believe his lies, or yield to him. And let me say this. We are, we are children of God. We are children of light. We're in a dark world, but we're not dark. In any room we walk into, we change everything. We don't go to church. We are the church. And where we ever, wherever we go, the church goes. Okay? But, but so God said, pray that it will be my kingdom, you know, will come, my will be done. Now, on earth like it is in heaven. So every, listen to me. Every time I believe, thy kingdom come when thy will is done. The kingdom of God comes, manifests. Light displaces darkness. Anywhere there is a believer that will do the will of God. The kingdom has just come. Jesus would cast devils out of somebody and say, Know this, the kingdom of heaven has come nigh unto thee today. That's what Jesus said. He, he did the works of the kingdom. We, we would do far better if we would just exercise the authority that we have. See, we just don't believe we have the authority. We think God's in control. He's, you know, so, no, no, you, you're in control of the earth. We, we really are. You can come and go, do what you want to do. You know. But when I was saying, like, you know, we still use the Malachi 3.10, you know, bring y'all tithes. We're still using that to try to promote people to give because we don't think people will give to God just because God's good. But so well, you say, Rodell, if we don't, God don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on us, we're unable to receive. And then this is the other one. And he will rebuke the devourer, devourer for our sakes. So that your crop don't, you know, cast forth before his time and all that. And so, and I, as a young preacher, listen to me, I'm not saying I've always had this down. I just echoed what I heard other preachers do. That must be right. That's what that dude said. And, and I would go to my pulpit in the early days, and I would say, listen to me. As y'all bring your tithe today, fresh commands from heaven go forth today as God rebuked the devourer for your sake. It was all lies. I didn't know it was. Because then I started pastoring people, and I saw people in my church that were so faithful in their tithing and giving, and they would be getting devoured financially. And that made me go home and scratch my head. Because I had the record on them people. I knew they was giving above and beyond anything. And they and financially, they were being destroyed. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? And, and I didn't see a lot of correlation and parallel. And, and what, what's the deal here? And then God began to show me. God said, I've given you. See, now, if, listen to me. If you're waiting on God just because you drop your check in the, play, in the bucket and you think now God's up there rebuking the devil, mm -mm, it ain't happening, baby. So you can drop your gift in the, and I'm for that because if you don't give, people say, I don't believe in tithing. Well, you better thank God somebody does at Grace Point because if it wasn't for the tithers, there wouldn't be no Grace Point. You wouldn't be in here and I wouldn't be talking right now because that's the ones that's kept this going. I don't believe. Yeah. You sit in church because somebody believes in you. You better thank God for that. The thing is to give. It's not to condemn. It's not. But you know, you always see what we do now is is we've never. You know, I grew up on pay your ties, pay your ties, pay your. You know, I, I, you owe it like a light bill. You don't owe it. Jesus paid it all. We give. We give our tithes. First tithe ever given in the Bible. Abraham gave tithes. He didn't pay it to Melchizedek. That's that's Jesus, y'all. Pre-incarnated Jesus. And so that's what we do today. Now what I'm so excited about is Revelation 4 and 1 said there's a door standing open in heaven. Stop praying for open heavens over your life. It's already open. There's a door standing open and his name's Jesus. And now when we 
honor God with our giving. And so I'm in the house. I'm not outside. No more opening the windows, pouring out a blessing. I'm in the house. I'm seated at the table with Christ in heavenly places. Right? That's what Ephesians says. So I'm in the house. I'm not outside the house. But now listen to me. Listen to me now. I got responsibility. So when you start seeing stuff go awry financially in your life, open your mouth. Get a hold of some keys because you have authority. You don't have to just sit there and take it. You don't have to go, well, I'm just in a cycle here. This is just a No, no, no. You open your mouth and you say something. God's not going to rebuke the devourer because God now says you have the authority to rebuke the devourer for, for your sake. God gave you. See, in the Old Testament, listen to me, from Genesis to Malachi, which makes up all 39 books of the Old Testament, you will, you, listen, you will never find one prophet, not one person ever rebuking the devil. 39 books, baby, ain't nobody saying nothing to that dude because ain't nobody got no authority over him. It don't matter what was going on. There's not a prophet, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Can't none of them dudes talk to Satan and rebuke him and have no authority over him. He has authority over them. That's why when God answered Jeremiah's prayer, we got that battle going on, you know, in the heavens, you know, for 21 days. They're battling out and duking it out. Jeremiah can't say doodly, man. He, he, he don't have any authority. But that's not the position you find yourself in today. You are a new covenant believer filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been empowered with power, and, and, and he shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When did the Holy Spirit come upon you? When you got born again. You didn't get three-quarters of power. You didn't get a little bit of power. You didn't get one. You got the same power that Jesus had. For the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit now dwelleth within thee. You have the power of God in you. You have God's power on the inside of you. Now, the only thing you don't know, somebody needs to come along and tell you that the light is green, baby. you got authority now. And that authority is transmitted by faith and your words. And you have to say something. You have to rebuke the disease. You have to say, I will not accept this. Because rebuking the enemy is not submitting to him. It's resist the devil, and he will flee from thee. If you resist him, he has to flee. You, you say, I'm not having this. No, you're not taking my grandbabies to hell. You, I will not stand for this. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I, I come against you in the name of Jesus, in the word of God. This is not what kingdom looks like. And you just begin to rebuke that. You don't make him your whole focus. You ain't got to spend a lot of time on it but no no you you rebuke that you know finance is, mm -mm, this here is more than just living on earth this here is a diabolical scheme coming against me to rob me of my finances because that's satan knows that's the quickest way to bring us down when we're worried concerned if we're gonna have enough we're gonna be able to make it next week we're gonna be able to pay the bills we're gonna make it or not i mean buddy that you ain't no intimacy with god there because you focus on surviving and that's why the financial struggle is one of the biggest things that Christians are confronted with. Are we going to have enough? Are we going to be able to make it? What's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? And, and, and here he comes. And, and Satan don't care about your washer, your dryer, your car. He can't do none of that. But he does care about what you care about. And if your security and peace and all that comes from your checkbook and your balance account, man, you're in for a ride, baby. you got to understand that you are not helpless you, you, you are not impotent in this world without power. 
Jesus gave the church the keys to the uh, authority and the power, and, and the power is the word of God when we say what God says. And I know sometimes we can speak it, and it don't instantly happen, but there's a lot of things in this world that you can speak it, don't, but you stand in faith. You stand on the word of God, and you, you, you don't fear. See, anywhere there's an atmosphere of fear, Satan Fear is not of God. Satan loves that. That's why he loves this COVID thing. He loves to show you the funerals. He loves to show you all this. Because then when you just wrap yourself up in fear, then he's operating in that. See, he walks in darkness. The Bible says when an unclean spirit departs from man, he, he, he goeth forth and, and, and he walks in dry places, seeking rest, finds no. See, he's, that's where the enemy operates in that. So if you've got people in the world and they yield themselves to, to the Satan's lies and all, and they, they empower him in that area. They empower him in that. But, but he doesn't really have any authority. Listen, all authority that you see Satan wreaking havoc in this world, you know where he, where he gets that and got that from man? Because Jesus restored that power and authority back to the church. And one day we're going to change deeds on the dirt, on the dirt, on the earth part. But until then... We've got something to do, and you don't have to just lay there and take it. Are y'all getting the message today? But if you believe God is somehow sovereign, and he's in control of all this, and he's behind my pain, and he's behind this, you can't be intimate with a God that's going to throw a disease on you at any moment to teach you something. You can't be intimate with, with a God that's going to snatch one of your kids away because he needs another angel in the bouquet table of heaven. Mm -mm. You, you, you can't get close to a God like that. Who would want to? Nobody. But you can get intimate with this God. Because every good and perfect gift, it comes from him. If it ain't good and perfect, it ain't from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, from the Father of light. Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy. Don't get confused. God is not sovereign just because God's all-powerful. But and, and in fact, listen, this doesn't make God less God to me. It actually makes God even more glorious to me. Because God is still getting his agenda and his will done on this planet in spite of lies of the enemy and people that are agreeing with him, God's using his body, his body we're called. He's the head. We're his hands. So when you see sick people, you pray for them. When you see things that are not kingdom, you move in the opposite spirit. When you see hate, you move in the opposite spirit. You move in love. When you see poverty, you move in the opposite spirit. You, 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 you bring that light to people where they can see God. Stand with me. Come on, give God praise. Would you do it? Man, I love you guys. Missed you last Sunday. I was out here in Texas, man. I told you, honey, I said, I said, give them my love, man. Tell them I'll see them next Sunday. I want, you know, my, what, what time I got on this earth, man, I want to tell people. I sat there the other night with my father-in-law. We children didn't think we were ever going to quit and just, just shared with him. The, the, you know, I said, Pop, that's what I'm here for. I said, this is the only thing that keeps me going. It keeps me going to the pulpit. In 30-something years now, 35, 36 years of preaching, not quite pastoring that long, 34 years or something of pastoring, I've preached enough sermons to satisfy the desire to preach a sermon in front of people. But I've never reached a place where I'm satisfied with people not knowing. And I still see so many, and I see it by what they write, what they post. There's so many people that just simply don't know about the grace of God. They do not know they're forgiven. 
They think they're getting what they deserve. They think that somehow or another that God's behind it. And it breaks my heart because I know how good God is. And he's not the author of their pain nor their confusion, but he's the author of their faith. And he gave and gifted that to them. And when you know that, it changes everything. It changes everything. I seen a preacher the other day. He said, man, if, you know, preach the truth, you know, preach the truth of God, even if it clears the church out. Maybe I'm weird. But when I read stuff like that, it breaks my heart. Because I was thinking, dude, if you really preach the truth, you're not going to clear the church out. You're going to fill the church up. Because people, they want to know about the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repent. And the more, listen, the more you find out about God's goodness, the more you want to, oh, taste of the Lord, the Bible says, and see that he is good. But you got to taste. I see my grandbaby sometimes. You know, we try to get them to taste something. I don't, taste, I don't like that. Have you ever had this? No. Well, you don't know that. Just because it don't look good don't mean it ain't good. Just taste. Oh, taste of the Lord. A lot of people have tasted of religion. You tasted of denominations. You tasted of doctrines of men and teachings of men. And you could have done all of that and yet not tasted of the Lord. But once you've tasted of the Lord, once you've got a pure taste of the Lord, you'll know you'll come away with that's good. And since I taste it, I want more. Wherever the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered. What does that mean? Wherever you can recognize the death, burial, and resurrection, there the eagles of God are gathered there in that place. If your name is Samson and you are fainted with battles with men and you look back on your victories and you see that one day a lion came out to kill you and by the power of God you grabbed hold of the lion, the Bible says, and you ripped him in two. You pulled one jaw from the other jaw and you tore him apart by your bare hands and you left his carcass in the road. And now you've been walking this life and you've been worn out by men and you have fought with men. And you, you're exhausted and you're tired and you're walking back that road again. This is all in the Bible. But now you see, you look back and you see there's that lion's carcass. I remember when God empowered me to kill him. And he was about to faint, the Bible says. And he walked over to look at that lion one more time. And when he did, he saw bees that made a nest in there and honey. And the Bible said Samson reached his hand into the carcass of the lion and he pulled that honey and that honeycomb and he began to eat it and his strength was renewed. What does all that mean, Pastor? God's trying to say, look back on your past victories. Look back on the things in your life where, where I gave you the victory and you know that it was not by your human strength that I brought you through what I brought you through. But I brought you through with that, but there's still honey in the carcass for you. There's still victory if you'll just go back and meditate on that. I remember a year ago I fought that lion, and God empowered me to overcome, and that thing came out from my life, but yet here I am. I'm still alive, and, and he reaches in. You need to reach into some of your past victories and eat the honey that comes out of those things because there's still power in the victory, and there's still power in the testimonies of what God's brought you through. Sometimes you can look around and say, well, I don't see a whole lot right now in my prayer. Well, you got something in the past, though, that God's brought you over. God's brought you through, and you can look back in that. And, and, and listen, and it's just like the little signs that people, and I appreciate that, uh, of faith over fear. Man, you ain't telling me I ain't denying they something out there. I've, I've lost some good friends that died with this. It's horrible. I hate it. It's not of God. We have the power and authority to rebuke it. But I still believe I can walk around in my house 
with my Bible and say Psalm 91 is still in force. No plague shall come nigh unto my dwelling. I declare the blood of Jesus is stronger than this disease. And it just begin to quote and declare the word of God. I'm not playing no incantation. I'm not throwing, hanging up no rabbit's foot. I'm not putting no four-leaf clover on nothing. I ain't trying to some kind of in. I, I tell you, I'm believing in the word of God, that God's true. He's the same. I'm not going to quit living my life. I ain't, I don't, most of it's behind me instead of in front of me. I'm not going to waste days hiding at the house. There's too many people need to hear the truth of God, the word of God, the grace of God, and they need to see it demonstrated. Now I want you to hold up your hand like you got some keys in it. Hold your hand up. Play with me. Come on. You do this, I'll get you out of here. I'm on OT. I know I'm past 12. I don't hardly ever do this, but I'm trying to make up for last Sunday. You got the keys in your hand? You know what they are? Keys of the kingdom. They're not just one key. You got plural, plurality of keys. Sometimes one, one, one key won't fit one certain lock, but you, you're not limited to one key. There'll be, a, there'll be a key that God's given you that will open that door. That will open the door to prosperity, to open the door in your life. If your company closes down and you don't have a job there no more, God's got another key and another place for you to go. God's got blessing because God's always blessed. There's not one verse in the entirety of the Bible where God says, I curse man. There are a lot of people think God got man cursed them. They think that God got man kicked them out of the garden in punishment. No, no. God said that he removed them from the garden so that he could keep the way back to the tree of life for them. That's all God's ever done. And he's been so maligned, so marginalized, and so blasphemed. But God is good, and he's good all the way through and through, and he's good all the time. Now, I want you to walk out of here this Sunday, and I know you physically can't see them, but you have them. I'm just asking you to believe it. You got the power because you got the Holy Spirit. Now I'm telling you, you got the authority because the light's green. God's given you the authority. Where did the authority come from? It came from Jesus himself. He said, go into the world. He said, believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall what? He said, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. In my name you will do these things. These signs shall follow them that believe. Believe what? That they've got not only power but that they've got authority. That you can do something about what's going on in your household, in your family, in your finances, and in your community. You don't have to sit there and take it. You're going to resist that devil. You're going to submit to God. That thing's got to flee. It's not going to stay in control. We're not going to yield ourselves to that. We're going to yield ourselves to God. Amen? All right, you believe it? Come on, give God a hand clap like you believe it. Come on, let's give him praise. Father, we love you. We praise you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We love and praise you, Jesus. All right, go and sin no more. Love you.